Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennium Money Medical. My name is Dev Raga and I'm your host and in this episode we will go through the concept of modern portfolio theory and why it may be relevant to your investing. Now just a word of caution, this episode is extremely detailed and it's quite geeky. So if you're not into that sort of stuff, particularly statistics, correlation, variance, you may want to skip this episode but I know a lot of listeners like the details so that's why I've included this particular episode for those listeners as well. Now, we can't do this podcast without the support of Altus Financial. As a full-service financial advisory business, they can help you in many ways, whether that be your requirements on general business ideas, structuring and use of multiple entities for the tax minimization or asset protection purposes to protect you for the extra risk we take as medical professionals or a sounding board on ideas you have on your business. Check out altusfinancial.com.au. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, there are three main aims, education, empowerment and entertainment. So what is modern portfolio theory? Now I'm going to refer to this as MPT. The basic premise of MPT is that you can assemble an asset portfolio which maximizes returns for a given level of risk. Let's face it, if you had three portfolios and each of them had a given level of risk, have exactly the same returns, which one would you choose? Now, it would be absolutely mad to choose the portfolio with the greatest risk, given the return is exactly the same for each of those portfolios, despite the lower risk portfolio also returning the same results, right? So, Basically, if you have three portfolios, all have exactly the same returns, but each of them might have a higher risk versus lower risk, then why would you choose a portfolio with the highest risk to get the same return? So to achieve this, investors need to assemble portfolios with the greatest diversification possible. And investors need to know their risk profile and their expected return. In fact, the old adage of risk-reward ratio is really important to understand here. Most people think taking on more risk is always going to correlate with higher returns. Well, actually, it turns out that's not actually true. After a set point, it doesn't make sense to take on more risk because your expected returns is going to be the same or sometimes even lower. It is this sweet spot the MPT teases out. The other way of looking at MPT is the performance of individual stocks actually doesn't matter, and one needs to look at entire portfolio performances. 
Now, the next concept as part of MPT that you need to understand is diversification. So what is diversification? This concept is so important to understand, and to sum it up in layman's terms, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. It turns out there's an optimal strategy to put the eggs in various baskets. And if you put too many eggs in one basket and not enough in the other baskets, you tend to increase your overall risk. Meanwhile, if you just distribute your eggs evenly, that's not great either because it may affect your portfolio returns. Or if you just put eggs distributed in as many baskets as possible, that can actually work out worse for you. Now, I discussed this specific concept called diversification in episode 203 for this concept. If you want to listen to that, go back and listen to it. The whole point of diversification is to have assets which don't always correlate with one another. Now, this reduces your idiosyncratic risk. And correlation just means a relationship between two variables that they share. And the correlation ranges from negative one to positive one. That is, if the correlation is negative one, this means the asset classes move in opposite directions to one another. If the correlation is positive one, it means they move with one another. Let's use an example to highlight this principle. Amy is a financial analyst and is analysing the investment portfolio of two companies. Company A has portfolio A, and with this portfolio, there are two assets, assets A and assets B. The correlation coefficient for these two assets is negative 0.9. What does that mean? This means that a loss in asset A will usually result in a gain in asset B. Hence why diversification is said to be very important. Now, we did briefly touch on this concept of idiosyncratic risk, which is a fancy way of saying unsystematic risks. And at this stage, I think it's worthwhile knowing the two main types of financial risks when it comes to investing. Now, systematic risk is basically the same as market risks. This type of risk can affect entire markets or large sections of the market. So pandemics fall into this category. The COVID pandemic has affected pretty much every single economic market in the world. And you can't completely eradicate the risk and it's extremely difficult to mitigate. Despite world diversification, most people lost around 20 to 30% in their index fund portfolios during the COVID-19 recession, especially those tracking in the main broad-based indices. The other type of financial risk you need to understand is unsystematic risks. This is when risk only affects a specific section of the economy or a specific company. This is largely industry-specific. Now, due to the travel bans, the travel industry, that's a great example of an unsystematic risk. This could be due to the pandemic or terrorism or wars or maybe global events or maybe local events like flooding or bushfires or even local country events like unemployment and labour laws, etc. Other examples are changes in management of a company, products being faulty or recalled. Remember the Takata airbag disaster, for example, or the Volkswagen emission scandal, for example. Regulatory risks. Now, there is a way to mitigate these risks, and that is to diversify. So if one company goes bankrupt, you have other companies which survive. This is basically the principle of MPT. The point here is systemic risks or systematic risks is very hard to get rid of, whilst unsystematic risk is what diversification helps with.
So who came up with MPT? A guy called Harry Markowitz. He's the guy who came up with modern portfolio theory and published it in the Journal of Finance in the 1950s. He won a Nobel Prize for it. And his theory was the basis for other theories, such as Capital Asset Pricing Model, CAPM, which is basically a theory of how to form prices of products. This was published by William Sharp in the 60s. Now, modern portfolio theory, let's take a bit of a deeper dive because I think it's really important to understand, and this is where it gets relatively geeky and complicated. The fundamental thesis here is you can construct a specific portfolio with multiple assets within it and achieve the best result in terms of returns for a given level of risk. That is, taking on more assets does not necessarily result in taking on more risk. So there is a sweet spot. One of the assumptions of MTT is that the investors are risk averse. So we need to understand what is risk aversion. This is a very different concept to loss aversion. Now, if you want to learn about loss aversion, go back and listen to episode 43 in my previous life as DevRaga Personal Finance, where I discussed this concept in detail. Now, all of these episodes are still within the channel. You just got to scroll down to find those earlier episodes where I specifically discuss loss aversion. Risk aversion is a totally different concept. Risk aversion just means that investors don't like to take on more risk if they don't have to. Think about it this way. If you had to drive to destination A and you have the option of driving in the middle of the night in really bad weather, maybe bad road conditions, or driving during daylight hours, it doesn't really matter what time you get to the destination, let's say, which option will you choose? Most people will choose driving during daylight hours. Less risky, possibly better weather, better road conditions, and more lifestyle friendly. So how can you calculate the expected return of a portfolio? And let's use an example. Amy is a financial analyst and is looking at portfolios containing four different assets. The total portfolio sums up to about 100%, and it's equally distributed across the four different asset classes. The expected returns are asset A, 4%, asset B, 6%, asset C, 10%, and asset D, 14%. So to calculate the total portfolio expected return on an asset-based, um, asset-weighted basis, beg your pardon, is 4% multiplied by 25%, plus... 6% multiplied by 25% plus 10% multiplied by 25% plus 14% multiplied by 25%. Now, the 25% is basically the weight of the asset within the portfolio, and the 4%, 6%, 10%, and 14% are the expected returns of that portfolio. Now, if you do that calculation, you come up to a total portfolio expected rate of return of 8.5%. Now, note, I haven't taken into account how to calculate the risk of each asset class because to calculate that, you need to know the variance and the correlation of each of those asset classes in relation to one another. This is just a basic, simple calculation of an expected return of a portfolio. So what is then variance? At this stage, geeks are getting really excited. This just means if you take a data set, you need to calculate how far each of the data is from the mean and how far they are from each other. If the variance is high, it just means the data set has greater variability. It's essentially the spread of data. And variance is a volatility, and we know volatility is a measure of risk. So 
If you really square root the variance, you get the standard deviation. This basically gives you the consistency of an investment's return over a given period of time. Now, at this stage, if you're a PhD or someone who's done a lot of research listening to this sort of stuff, may excite you. In fact, I know one particular anaesthetist who's probably going to listen to this episode who I think represented their country in an international maths competition and probably did a biostatistics course or something like that, who is now a consultant anaesthetist in WA, is going to get really excited about these principles. So shout out to you. I won't name you, but uh, you know who you are. To me, though, this is just boring stuff. And I don't think for me, in my personal investing, this sort of thing matters too much. Now, this leads to the next mini concept called the efficient frontier. What is the efficient frontier? Again, at this point, you need to put your extra geek hat on and Google the curve because it makes sense. And trust me. Now, remember I said the modern portfolio theory is that for a given level of risk, there is going to be an optimal portfolio which can construct it to maximise your returns. We also said standard deviation is basically a proxy for risk. Which means if you plot a curve where the x-axis is a standard deviation and the y-axis is the expected return, it turns out it gives you a curve which kind of looks like a C. At this stage, you may wish to Google this, and then the line that goes up is called the efficient frontier. Remember our earlier example where Amy calculated the expected return of four asset classes in the portfolio and determined the total portfolio return was 8.5%. Suppose you plot that on the y-axis. The next step is to calculate the portfolio standard deviation, which is basically its risk characteristics. And to do that, you need to know the asset's variance and correlation, etc. And the symbol for standard deviation is a Greek symbol, sigma. Kind of looks like an A, uh, but it's turned on its side, I think, kind of, if you Google it. Once you've calculated the expected returns and standard deviation, you can then plot it on this graph and see if it falls below the efficient frontier. Now, if it falls below the efficient frontier, it's a bad portfolio. That is, you're not maximising returns for the expected level of risk. If you plot it and it falls above the line, then you're doing really gate. That's great. That means you are maximising your returns for the expected level of risk. It's as simple as that. And thank God that individual investors don't have to do this and really smart financial analysts do this all the time. In fact, that's how portfolios are constructed. So you can go to a specific financial analyst or business manager or whoever that is, really smart people, and say, hey, I want you to construct a portfolio based on this MPT. Now, notice when you Google the efficient frontier, there is a bit where the C curve turns sharply and there is no curve to the left of it. Why is that? It just means any portfolio in that area is considered zero risk or risk-free. And that's called the risk-free rate. It means the risk is so low and reward is so low, often these are bonds and cash deposits, and they don't really count as most investors don't have them as a majority of their portfolio. Some do, but not many. Now, before we head to the break, there is a line which is a tangent to the line of the efficient frontier called Capital Allocation Line, C-A-L. What is that? This is basically on the efficient frontier where the slope of the curve is the highest. 
This means this is the optimal portfolio given the level of risk. And the line this creates is called the capital allocation line. The slope of this for you math geeks is called the Sharpe's ratio. Now basically, it calculates how much excess return you receive for taking on excess risk. The higher the ratio, the better it is for you. So in summary, the modern portfolio theory focuses on the expected returns for a given level of risk. And the sub-concepts under this are diversification, and that investors are generally risk-averse, correlation, variation, standard deviation, efficient frontier, and the Sharpe's ratio based on the capital allocation line on the efficient frontier graph. Now let's take a quick break, and when I come back, we will look at some of the good and bad things about MPT and the newer version of it called the Postmodern Portfolio Theory. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click Get Help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click Get Help. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, welcome back. Just another thanks to Altus Financial for getting behind My Millennium Money Medical. We can't do this without them. Whether you're established in a career with a solid income and looking for next steps or you're after advice about buying into, selling or opening your first practice, Altus Financial can help. Altus is offering a complimentary 15-minute chat for anyone who wants to discuss their scenario with their professional team. Click the link in the show notes for more information. Now, let's go on and learn more about modern portfolio theory. What are the benefits of MPT? When you invest in an ETF or index fund, essentially you're using the concept of diversification to lower your risk and trying to maximise your expected portfolio return. Now, companies that provide such indices and analysts who focus on economics and broader financial theories utilise MPT and constantly analyse the risk-reward ratios for various portfolios. So the biggest benefits is that MPT is that you can use it to reduce the variance of your portfolio. You can use MPT to maximise your portfolio returns and minimise your risks. For example, you may wish to add some government bonds to your portfolio to reduce the variance of the portfolio's management, but it doesn't really affect the overall performance that much. 
The analogy to use here is, supposing you drive to a destination. There are two routes. One is a freeway, which is much more comfortable, and the other is a tortuous road. It's much easier to take the freeway to the destination. Think about the freeway as a portfolio with government bonds where there's little variance of volatility. Whilst the tortuous path is an investor's individual stock portfolio where they're constantly actively investing. Probably get you to the destination too, but the ride is way more rockier and riskier than it should be. What are the criticisms of MPT? The biggest criticism is modern portfolio theory is based on variance and correlation. It's not based on downside risk. So what is downside risk? This is when you analyse a security and work out what is your worst case scenario. Technically, some analysis have limited downside risk and other investments have unlimited downside risks. Let's use an example to highlight this particular principle. Amy is a PSA at a hospital. She's invested $10,000 in company ABC stock. And each share is priced at $1. So she has 10,000 shares. Company ABC is a building company, and given the rise in material prices and demand for building, company ABC profits look solid for the year 2022. There's also less competition, as some of the builders have gone bankrupt this year already. And this means more building contracts to lesser competition. Amy's downside risk is $10,000. That is, the stock price can go to zero, and she can't lose any more than that. Now, let's change the scenario just slightly. Amy is a PSA at a hospital, she decides to short company ABC stock. That is, she thinks the building industry is going to collapse due to rising interest rates. Refer to episode 217, where I discuss macroeconomic and microeconomic factors if you're interested in interest rates, inflation, etc, etc. Now, shorting just means she borrows a stock from the open market at the current market value and then sells it in the open market. So Amy borrows 10,000 shares and sells it at a dollar per share. She makes $10,000. She's hoping that the stock price falls due to the rising interest rates, which affects building companies. And the stock falls to 50 cents, so she buys the shares at 50 cents and repays the borrowed stock. That is, she now buys the same 10,000 shares at $5,000 cost. She keeps the other $5,000, less a small premium for the privilege, as profit. In this scenario, Amy's downside risk is unlimited. Why? Because the stock price can unexpectedly go up. Suppose the company ABC stock rises to $10 from $1. Amy will need to repay the borrowed shares at $100,000. This means she loses $90,000 on that short sale trade. For a course, for the holding period, that is for the privilege of borrowing that stock, she pays a premium on top of that. Now, because the stock price can go higher and higher, there is no ceiling to it. Therefore, Amy's downside risk is unlimited. So, how does it all relate to MPT and its criticisms of not using this downside risk in the theory? Suppose there are two portfolios, both of exactly the same variance and expected returns. MPT says they're both equally desirable. But the problem is, portfolio A's variance may be due to smaller losses more frequently, whereas portfolio B's variance may be due to a rare but spectacular loss. As an investor, which one would you prefer, knowing this extra detail? Most investors would prefer more frequent smaller losses rather than one massive crash or loss. 
That's just how investors' brains are wired. I've done a detailed episode on behavioural finance if interested. Refer to episode 67 in my previous life as Devaraka Personal Finance. So the postmodern portfolio theory aims to improve on the original theory by taking this downside risk into account. So what is the postmodern portfolio theory? The basic premise doesn't change. You can still maximise returns for an expected level of risk, but the big difference here is that it takes into account downside risk. So basically, it's another version of MPT which defines risk slightly differently. So how is risk defined differently with postmodern portfolio theory? The risk is defined by standard deviation of all negative returns. Compare this to MPT, which defines risk by standard deviation of all expected returns, positive and negative. Now, the postmodern portfolio theory was only devised in the 90s when software designers Kathleen Ferguson and Brian Rom noticed the flaws in the MPT. And it's actually pretty remarkable how recent this new theory was actually proposed. It's only 30 years ago. And in this new theory, they use the Sortino ratio, which is an improvement on the Sharpe ratio. Now, I discussed the various ratios in episode 124 titled Growth versus Value Investing, if you're interested. The bottom line here is the modern portfolio theory is basically what passive investing is. The postmodern portfolio theory is more geared towards the active investors, where they seek alpha. That is, investors seek to better the passive returns by seeking an edge. This is where portfolio managers take into account negative returns much more seriously than positive returns. I.e., negative returns is what investors worry a lot more about due to the concept of loss aversion whereas investors don't really worry about positive returns too much. That's Buffett's mantra, right? Rule one, don't lose money. And rule two, don't forget rule one. He never says, make as much money as you can. Now, that's it for episode uh, about modern portfolio theory. Loads of geeky information on this episode, but you can see how it may relate to your investment style, whether it be passive or active investment. I'm a 100% passive investor. I don't seek alpha. For me, following an index is what I like. It's basic, it's simple, it's reproducible, it's automatable. It's just easy. So basically, what I do is what MPT is all about, albeit in a much more, I guess, geeky way, I suppose. Before we finish up, I had a question from James who asks, Hi Dev, are EFTs and managed funds the same thing. Now, James, they're not even related. I think what you probably meant was ETFs, not EFTs. Remember, EFT means electronic funds transfer. Nothing to do with investing. FPOS means electronic funds transfer at point of sale. ETFs is exchange traded funds. Index funds or managed funds are funds which are not traded on the exchange. Not all managed funds track the index. You can get a passively managed funds, which track the index, or actively managed funds, which don't track the index. Just like you can get passive ETFs, which can track the index, or actively managed ETFs, which don't track the index. Just because they're managed funds or ETFs doesn't mean it's always passive and doesn't mean they always track the index. So that's really important to understand. The simplest way to understand The difference between ETFs and index funds or managed funds is ETFs require a middleman, i.e. a broker. 
managed funds don't require a middleman, i.e. you can deal directly with the company which offers managed funds. Many managed funds have an equivalent ETF, especially in the passive investing world. A good example of that is VAS, which is the Vanguard ETF which tracks the top 300 companies in Australia versus the managed fund version, which is called Van 0002AU, which is the Australian Shares Index Fund. Both are similarly correlated. To buy VAS, you need a broker like Selfwealth or Perla or Comsec or even Vanguard themselves. Act as a broker now. To buy Van 0002AU, which is the managed fund version of the ETF, you simply deal with Vanguard directly. You still have to pay fees for the ETF and the managed funds. You may fund the managed fund version of ETFs is slightly more pricier, but you need to factor into it brokerage as well. Most of the time, although not all of the time, ETFs work out cheaper over the long term depending on your investing style. I hope this clarifies, and I do talk about it a lot through my series, but I focus on this concept in episode 33 in my previous life as Devraga Personal Finance, so you may find it useful. It was one of my earlier episodes, which I still remember recording overlooking the busy, relatively peaceful streets of Hong Kong back in 2019. How things have changed since then. Mind-boggling. That's about it for this episode. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you may be using, or leave a five-star review on all of the platforms. That's even better. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast, so please keep them coming. I love reading ratings and reviews. This is Dev Raga from My Millennium Money Medical, and until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorised representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services licence 451289. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.